Hey, chaps, we are live. Happy Monday. Today we are diving in, vision setting about what is the purpose of man, what is the purpose of church, what is the uh, response to culture. I just got into thinking, I was thinking a lot about church hierarchy, and um, I don't know if any of you guys have really been uh, deep on the whole social sexual hierarchy, but the whole thing of uh, alpha, alphas, bravos, deltas, sigmas and gammas uh, within a hierarchy uh, as functions, not necessarily as, as of status, because you can have a high status delta who has more status than a, an alpha or a king, if you want to call it that. Uh, but it's a, it's a really incredibly useful tool when it comes to thinking about the church. So, um, you know, a lot of churches are run by bravos and bravos are the, you know, love people. They love gathering. They love events. They love, uh, flattering people and encouraging and slapping people on the backs and high energy and party like who party on the legs like where are the people at that's the bravo um a lot of bravos go into ministry because they're they're like well i need a people job you know and, and that's it like bravos are phenomenal they want people facing jobs because that's what they're great at they're great at relationships right so relationships become everything um and if you go to a Bravo church, the thing that they're going to really champion is let's get as many people here as possible. And, and the, the, the success of the church is how many people are in the seats and that really like inflates or deflates there. You know, if the group is on fire, the Bravo is on fire. If the group is nose diving, the Bravo is nose diving. And I just got to thinking, I was like, Lord, what would a Delta church look like? You know, cause I think, I think the majority I, I have a suspicion the majority of men are deltas. You know, the delta is if you want something done right, do it yourself. I'm a man of competence. I'm a man of strength. Uh, I'll take care of my plot. You take care of your plot. Um, and I think that's the majority of, of men. A good 50 to maybe 60% of men, I would say, are deltas. You know, the backbone of civilization, the warrior. If you if you look at the the other like archetype, style thing they would be the warrior right the builder the settler and i think for me i'm like lord like these are the guys who don't have a lot of honor in the church because they don't they don't pat people on the backs and they don't say like you're amazing man like you know all the the bravos need verbal love whereas the delta is like they cringe right they cringe when a bravo pastor says Hey brother, come on up here on the stage, everybody. This is, oh, isn't he amazing? And like the Delta's like cringing inside of like, dude, you're just flattering me. Like, I don't like this. I don't want this. Like, just give it to me straight. Um, and I was really thinking about this. Uh, you know, I think uh, Kings and Bravos um, naturally gel, you know, so Kings are top of the hierarchy, very demanding, uh, very uh, sensitive to, to power, plays uh, and power games and expansion uh, and bravos make very good lieutenants for them um, and similarly with sigmas and deltas so sigmas are uh, more visionary more out of the hierarchy they don't want to be shackled down they don't want to be um, sucked into other people's hierarchies that they because they can see out of the hierarchy they don't want to be on a ship that's going into an iceberg they're like I'm out. Like if you don't want to, if you don't want to take my direction, like I'm out. And so where they, 
naturally gel with deltas though a delta says give it to me straight like tell me what needs to be done and and i'll do it with skill with mastery and so deltas and sigmas have natural affinity with each other because they're not trying to make demands on each other either you know demand making becoming an obligation on someone else is like oh you know like please don't please don't make me obligated to you and i think deltas and sigmas really get along well on that uh, aspect so i was thinking about that i was like who are good examples of this? Steve Jobs, great example of a sigma, right? Doesn't care about hierarchy, doesn't care about conforming to the, the hierarchy or a, cult, a popular culture. So he creates his own uh, Pixar. You know, he's, he's got a vision and creates it. But what starts happening is because he's not, he's not a king, he can't control the, pol the politicking and the power plays and the hierarchical movements of the bravos and the kings and the gammas. And he gets kicked out of his own organization. Um, and I don't know much about Mark Driscoll. When I was a young Christian, I thoroughly enjoyed his straight talking. I think he was a Sigma. You know, I was like, oh, that guy's obviously a king, you know, very demanding, very overbearing. And it's like, I think he was a Sigma who, who shot straight. And so, of course, his whole church was a bunch of Deltas who were like, yep, this guy told me I was being a dick for not marrying my girlfriend and, and not having a family. And it's like, he told me straight. And I was like, yeah, I like that. Like I always liked Mark Driscoll's preaching. I always liked his straight talk, but you get a bunch of bravos who love people and you get a bunch of Kings who are like, he's ruining my power play by saying certain things that are politically incorrect. And you get a bunch of gammas who are like super hurt by him. And they're like, yeah, this guy needs to be kicked out and he gets kicked out of his own hierarchy. Very fascinating. Like just from the outside, looking at that, so it just got me into thinking of, of what does the church look like that caters uh, to the Delta, to the man who is actually out building civilization. And it really got me thinking of, of what, you know, if you go to your church, if you go to your business, if you go to your clubs that you're, you're in, what is it that gets uh, celebrated, rewarded, and promoted? And you'll see if, if it's a king uh, ruling on hierarchy, uh, you know, it's, it's loyalty gets rewarded. And then also, you know, power, power play, right? We're, we're here to expand the King's realm, the King's dominion. So loyalty and power play, very important for Bravos. If a Bravos at the head of, of it is like, do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like being around me? Lots of party and jokes. And, and so all the guys who can play that game, you know, play the popular culture and, and the political correctness. It's like that's what will be celebrated and that's what will be uh, elevated. Whereas for, for Delsas, competence and fearlessness and integrity, bravery, faithfulness, integrity, whatever you want to call it, those are like the bread and butter of the Delta, right? The Delta man, no fusses, just give it to me straight and let's, let's go to war. And it's hard to run a church like that because bravos don't like that. They're like, wait a minute. You mean there's going to be no fancy uh, meals and parties and events? Like, no, we're going to have families. We're going to work our, our, our businesses. We're going to get super wealthy. We're going to buy up the town. Uh, we're going to confront uh, some pretty uh, uncomfortable things. And we're going to change culture. It's a very Sigma and Delta thing. So I, that just got me thinking about Abraham and Lot about our church not having a positive vision for land, wealth, and power. You know, a lot of guys, we, we come through uh, Sunday school singing, uh, 
that we are, what has a song go? Father Abraham had many sons. And it's like, sweet, so you're indoctrinating us that Father Abraham is our patriarchal model, right? And, and you're indoctrinating us with David and Goliath. And you're indoctrinating us with, I'm trying to think what other our, our classic Sunday school lessons were, but those two stick out the most. So it's like, all right, so you're indoctrinating us to follow the pattern, the, the demonstration that Father Abraham set out for us, right? What was his demonstration? When you when you ask the Sunday school teacher, you know, what is the point of Father Abraham's story? It's that God spoke to him and he had many children. Or it's that God spoke to him and he was faithful. But that is, you're totally like, you're missing the lead. You know, you'd be fired in journalism if that's what your headline is. It's like, oh, God spoke to him and he was faithful and he's in the hall of faith. He believed God. And it's like, okay, there's actually... A, a crazy pattern if you know if if someone says that i'm a chip off the old block they're saying scott you look like your dad you followed the pattern of your dad you talk like your dad you do stuff like your dad you're basically your dad right that is the pattern of inheritance that instinctually the bible is telling us you are the sons of abraham um and it's really interesting in john 8 uh, Jesus says to to a bunch of um, Jews, he said, you know, because they're like, we're the sons of Abraham. And he's like, if you were the sons of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. You would do the works of Abraham. You would look like him. And then in Galatians 3 verse 7, I'm actually going to uh, read this to us because I'm just making a case here. A lot of our pop church culture is so petrified of men that look like Abraham, who look like their father that they've they've kind of memed memed us out and set a new frame of like land is bad wealth is bad power is bad and abraham was old testament abraham was you know it's just a fun song sing it at uh sunday school galatians 3 verse 7 just a, uh, verse six, just as Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So a lot of churches, pop churches are like, guys, Israel, Israel's blessed. We've got to bless Israel because if we don't bless Israel, we'll be cursed. And it's like, yeah, I'm more blessed than Israel. Sorry to burst your bubble. Uh, I am by faith, the son of Abraham. You know, it then goes on, it carries on to then go say that through Jesus Christ, there is now neither Jew nor Greek. So you're kind of popping the bubble that the Jews are special because it's like in Jesus, the Jews aren't special anymore. Sorry, special boys, but we are the new Israel. You know, believers, the church, followers of Jesus Christ are the new Israel. So everything, because here's here's the, the mind mess. If you go and say to someone, should the Jews be blessed? So, so say to a pop Christian, should the Jews be blessed? Yeah, 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 the Jews should be blessed. Should we bless the Jews? Yeah, yeah, yeah we should bless the Jews. Uh, should the Jews be wealthy? Yeah, 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 the Jews must be wealthy. It's a, it's, it's part of their blessing. Should the Jews have land? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Jews should have land. Should the Jews have power? Yeah, yeah, yeah they must have power. And it's like, all right, sweet. In Jesus Christ, there is now no longer Jew or Greek. Every blessing that was on Abraham is now accorded to me through faith. I am more blessed than Israel ever was. I am the new Israel. And so we have this kind of petrification, these, these, 
these chaps who are trying to like gatekeep power. Because if you have if you have a hierarchy that is very controlling, you don't want men who are able to buck control or who are able to step aside and be like, I'm not going to be controlled by you. And so modern, you know, that was Abraham, right? So Abraham was just a regular um, old dude. He uh, he has an encounter with God. He's an idol worshiper, right? Is what he was. He was a, a desert nomad idol worshiper. Well, he wasn't a nomad yet. He was a desert. Well, it wouldn't have been the desert even probably. It was uh, the fertile crescent. But anyway, God tells him, leave your leave your your family, leave your place and go to a land that I'll tell you and I'll make of you a new nation. And he believes God and he goes and God starts adding to him great wealth and great power and great land. And one of the biggest things is that he is, he is in the hall of faith, right? He is the great patriarch that everyone's that Paul and Jesus and all of these guys are like, he is a great man of faith. A lot of people are like, if you're wealthy, you're going straight to hell. You can't be righteous. And it's like, well then, is Abraham in hell? It's like, no, he's in the hall of faith. So I'm just trying to create for us. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show us here that there's a positive vision set out in the Bible for stewardship of wealth, land, and power that God wants to bless us with. You know, so that's the other thing, right? Is this show of uh, contrast between Abraham and Lot. So Lot is Abraham's nephew who accompanies him, uh, who goes along with him on his journey. And uh, they, they end up getting so prospered and so blessed, which is a, a great lesson, by the way, of, of demonstration, right? The blessing was on Abraham, but Lot just copied everything Abraham did. And it's like he was as blessed. And so they get so blessed that, you know, there's too much, there's too much power going on in one, in one shower. And so they say, like, Abraham says to him, look, let's not quarrel. You pick where you want to go, the, the valley or the hills, and, and I'll go the other way. And so he picks the fertile valley, and he goes and lives in Sodom, in the, in the city, right? And he loses the template. He becomes, he becomes a soft urban boy, you know, partying it up with uh, all of the degenerates. And it's, it's really fascinating where the two angels come to, to come and destroy Sodom. And, you know, you, you really you don't need to imagine what happened because we're kind of living in that same, we're living in the grace of Jesus because, you know, Jesus uh, satisfied God's wrath on us. Um, you know, people's sins are still building up wrath for themselves. They're destroying themselves. But, but back then when, when Jesus had yet satisfied the wrath of, you know, it says, it says later on uh, that the Moabites or the Philistines or whoever it was had yet to have built up their sins uh, or or have stored up their iniquities uh, for them to be destroyed by the Israelites. A lot of things going on there that are uncomfortable for us to talk about. But when we go to to Sodom, you know, so he has a lot chilling. He's a wealthy man, right? He's a wealthy man. He's significant in the town. He sits at the gate uh, when these two angels come in, you know, and, and he, he goes to them and he says, please come in and stay with me. You know, I'm the man of honor in this place. Come and stay with me. And therein we see the first, we see the first troubles, right? Of land, wealth, and honor misplaced, right? Misguided. So he's, 
Lot is the classic template of a modern Christian who does have wealth or who does have power. But he's so afraid of offending uh, the people around him that he doesn't do anything with it. And instead of loving these people and being a governor, being a king, bringing dominion, he himself starts being sitting under the dominion of, of degeneracy. And so it's only by the goodness of Abraham that these angels go to save him before they, he was going to get smited with the rest of them. So anyway, um, you know, the angels come and spend the night with him and all the townsfolk want to come and rape the angels. And um, the dude is so messed up. He's like, oh no, sleep with my daughters. You know, it's just like the, the absolute powerlessness of the man. You know, when you look at Abraham, Abraham had 300 armed stone just special operations soldiers as his servants. You know, they, they went later on and beat five kings. It's like, you're, you're not just a ragtag bunch of chaps who sharpened their pitchforks. Like, these are our, our operators. The, the template was there, and we knew that Lot was following the template. He had armed men at some point. And he, instead of being like, this is unrighteous, I'm sorting this out. He's like, oh, please take my daughters and rape them instead. It's like, what a piece of crap. So all of this to say, let me read for you um, Genesis. All righty. So Lot um, gets abducted. This was before the whole thing. I'm just, I got, I got passionate and rambled too far ahead. Lot gets captured by a bunch of kings. Again, total incompetence. Like the dude, the dude had the power to influence things and he gets, he gets captive of the culture. He didn't understand the blessing was for him. He knew the blessing was for Abraham, but he, he himself didn't have the identity of Abraham. Right. It came to pass that uh, all these bad dudes came and abducted Lot and all his goods. Then one who had escaped came and told Abraham the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, and they were allies with Abraham. That's a that's a great thing for us chaps. We need to understand aristocratically ourselves. You know, we are sons of God, the ultimate king, and Jesus is the king of kings. We are the kings that he is king of. We need to start thinking aristocratically from the point of view of my presence conveys a lot of power, significance, meaning, purpose on the people around me. We get to start engaging in alliances. You know, so right now you might just be thinking, oh man, I just work a job. I just have a house in the suburbs. I'm nobody special. And it's like, you're going to stay that way because that's the identity that you're operating out of. But the identity has to change to that of Abraham of like, you know, Abraham, he didn't come out as a 21-year-old Alexander the Great on a huge black horse, you know, just rippled Greek physique. Abraham was 70 years old, you know, so he was just a nobody. I mean, he, it said he was a prince, but he was a nobody. Like he was just cruising in life, right? Until he decided to step out in faith and become something. And then he, he believed it, right? That's why he's in the, the hall of fame, faith. He believed it, you know? And so that's for us of like, you know, you might be 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, Abraham was 70 years old. And when this identity, when the software kicks in, when the software update fully kicks in, the hardware changes how it's used. The hardware is used in a different way, gets different results. 
Right, so they were allies with Abraham. Now, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked and pursued and brought back all the goods. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, brought up bread and wine, and he was the priest of the God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God, Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Chaps, this is a... a a real identity thing of like, we need to understand. And, and in Deuteronomy 28, it says that it says that your enemies will come out against you one way, but they will flee before your face seven ways. In other words, we have to stand up and face like God won't just smite enemies and change things for your life. You have to show up. You know, we are the agents of God in the way that he allows us to go through testings and go through storms and go through trials so that we can show up in a place that he can then work through us. So it's not just, you know, enough to be like, oh, Lord, please deliver my brother Lot. And it's like, no, go show up. And then I will defeat them and deliver your enemies into your hand. It's a great it's a great uh, truth for us to really, again, get the software into your hand. God wants to do mighty things through you, but you have to show up. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, take uh, the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I haven't raised my, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. So Abraham understands here that God is his provider. You know, a lot of times, chaps, our fear or our biggest stress in our life is finances, is economy. You know, we're afraid of speaking the truth, not because we're going to die. You know, I, I think, especially in America, the lives we live in our, our, you know, suburban or town or rural areas, people aren't going to kill us for the things we say. We are just so afraid of saying it for a loss of prestige or approval or, you know, oh, people won't come to my business or my boss will fire me or I'll upset some people. And we'll get to the killing thing later. God protects us as well as provides for us. But the provision thing is first. We have to understand provision. I do not want anyone to say I have made Scott rich. You know, it's that whole thing of like God has a blessing on my life and I'm not going to go around. And it's the same thing with, with missionaries and, and with pastors of like begging for money. You're going straight against your inheritance, which is believing what Abraham was blessed with is what I'm blessed with. All right. Getting riled up. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So this is the next thing is now this is where fear of death, fear of murder, fear of hurt and harm comes in. You know, if and, and it's not stupid stuff. Like you don't, you know, there's a huge guy in the bar and it's like, hey man, you're you're a dork. And it's like, yeah, you're gonna get beaten the heck up. It's it's not it's not stupid, you know, because that's the the straw man that that people are like, you can't expect God to just protect you from and it's like, no, you expect like if you work for God. If you're doing your what you see your father doing, it means I'm speaking the truth to culture, to power. You know, so it comes to the, the point of like, I'm going to do things that are in the image of God and people aren't going to like it. And it's like, that's when it's like, you know, people say to um, Paul and, and Peter and James, stop preaching or we'll kill you. And they're like, we'll keep preaching. Like, not afraid of you, dude. And if you kill us, to die is gain. Like, that's the mindset of like, and I, I love that. Uh, quote where it's from a king is not for long life a king is for glory 
And that's it. We're kings. Chaps, we're here for glory. And, and by God's grace, he'll protect us and give us a long life. You know, it's like Jonathan with his armor bearer. When he says, says to his armor bearer, he's like, let's go see if God is for us. Let's go advance against the camp. And if God is for us, he'll do something. And if not, we were faithful. You know, like that. What a, what a Chad. Jonathan, most. What's the word I'm looking for? Dude was swindled by his dad's bad. Dude would have been a phenomenal king. Most, most missed out on king in history. Jonathan, son of Saul. Boss. Right. Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So this comes to the biggest thing of, of being an aristocrat, of being a king is progeny, you know, is our next generation. We're living for the next generation. And one of the, the hardest things of civilization for us, the reason we have so much despair and nihilism is because we have failed, not we, but, but previous generations have failed to give the blessing down, right? They failed to, to protect and steward and grow the blessing for the next generations. And so here we are, trying to be like, okay, physically, we, we, we have very few inheritances from our fathers. But now, you know, that's the, the place that uh, Abraham was in when he started out. So it's like, all right, Lord, we get to be the first patriarchs. We get to be the progenitors. We get to be the, the starters of this new uh, line, this new lineage, this new uh, change in our families, in our communities, right? And so I just, I really... Uh, want us to get into this this mind frame of patriarchy, king energy, sonship, kingship of the church, the popular church has been memed into, oh, you're just a Christian, just a humble guy, just wash people's feet, serve people, uh, come sit in church on a Sunday uh, and, and you're doing like, that's it. Don't get, don't get angry at anything. Don't be too unkind to anyone you know that's christianity 101 in the popular culture but when you look at the old testament it's the not even the old covenant but but pre that the patriarchs it's brutal it's raw you know this this absolute pattern that god is trying to set up for us through abraham you know it, we wouldn't have this you know jesus wouldn't be wouldn't be telling guys that like if you're if you're of abraham you'd be doing abraham's works you know in galatians 3 verse 7 it would be it wouldn't be saying that if if you're in faith in christ that you are now the inheritors of his blessings and what are those blessings it's deuteronomy 28 you read deuteronomy 28 and it's just like whoa like no wonder the jews believe like the jews just believe this they don't they don't have an issue of being wealthy and powerful. They just believe it. And then it, it's, it literally becomes the environment that they grow up in. It's the demonstration and the discipleship they grow up in. DVG, rather than power under submission to God, we have men with nothing to offer in service and sacrifice to God. So good, bro. A sacrifice must cost. It must be valuable. And we have nothing of value a lot of times because we're comfortable. You know, comfort is the opposite of sacrifice. So good. So, yeah, just wanted to get it, it into us. It's good to have a positive vision, a positive demonstration. 
that we're going for because for us we don't uh, we don't want to be complainers oh, like oh gosh you won't believe what the pop church is doing you won't believe what the media is doing you won't believe what the universities and the schools are doing and then we complain 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 and point out their hypocrisies and why won't anyone do anything and god is saying scott why won't you do anything it's like oh wait i i have to do anything like yeah believe i'm a king and start doing king stuff you know and and that is land, wealth, power. So I just want to uh, go through that. Land, why land? Right? Land is authority over an area. If you own land, you have authority to kick things, atmospheres, people, activities off of your land and invite atmospheres, activities, people onto your land. It's a huge gatekeeping. You know, if, if you, let's just take this on a really practical in a neighborhood, if um, if you come into a neighborhood and you see all the houses are, are looking a bit down and, and there's trash and the hedges are overgrown, if I owned one of those houses, I could very quickly clean it up, repaint it, do all the trim all the hedges and stuff. Uh, and if I was if I was wanting to really make a difference to to the neighborhood, I'd I'd go and be like, hey, can I trim your guys' hedges? Can we clean things up and and you know kind of get a bit of a, a belonging and a contribution to our, our street going here? Like let's Let's up our Eden, our kingdom here. Like this is our kingdom, chaps. Let's own, let's feel like we've got ownership here. And a lot of the times the people in the houses will, will say back to you like, oh, I just rent, bro. Like, yeah, I couldn't be bothered. Like I just rent here. And it's like, okay, rental attitude, right? And a lot of us have a rental attitude to our lives, you know, because it's like, well, I'm just waiting for, for God to come back or I'm just waiting for Jesus to rapture me. And it's like, that's a rental attitude. You're a renter. Because, well, this world's going to burn. Like, it's not my world. I'm not, I'm not going to. And I was like, no, like that's this creation. We have a mandate to steward because we're owners. We're owners of this place. We're owners. We're joint heirs with Christ. We have all authority on heaven and on earth. So it's, it's that ownership mindset. All right, DVG, powerful and soldiering men. They need to offer what they have. It's good. Gain a kingdom. Offer the kingdom in service to God. God's very first blessing to man was land. So good, brother. So good. Yeah. Every covenant God made came with land. Uh, Adam got land. Abraham got land. The Israelites got land. It's so good. Uh, even You even see in the church, in Acts, there's a very fascinating story about land with uh, the chap who sold his land and and uh, again it's it's sacrifice right sacrificing of land to the church uh and there were some issues there but it's it's really interesting to think on of like all right lord you want me to be something to do with land you want me to be a steward of land right you want me to make land you know look at africa chaps i come from africa it is the most fertile the most beautiful climate uh the most just amazing place, right? It would be the highest property values in the world if there was law and order, if there were kings who were righteous and who were bearing the sword and who were uh, demonstrating God, right? It would be the, it would be the most, it would be the most fertile, abundant, amazing place on earth, but it's not because the kings are wicked because the church. Yeah. I'm not getting into that. All righty. So let's carry on with where I was at. So now, and wealth. So land, wealth. Why wealth? 
you know, one of the biggest things in America right now is debt slavery and wage slavery. So in order to kill a man's purpose, what's our purpose? Dominion. Our purpose is to look like Jesus and do dominion, be kings, right? So how do you kill that? Well, make a man a wage slave, make a man a debt slave, you know, and that's the prodigal son. The prodigal son was the son of a rich landowner. And he's like, let's go and gamble the inheritance. And he, he goes off to the city and he blows it on ladies and drink and whatever else. And soon he's working in a pigsty um, as a slave, basically. You know, and it's like, isn't that a great analogy for our generation? Uh, we're, all, we're all waged and debt slaving it up in the cities when we, we could be uh, understanding a return to our father. Return to your father's inheritance. Return to your father's blessing. And then we work our father's business, which is dominion. So wealth, one of the biggest slaving tools is wage slavery, right? We, we're so afraid of starting our own thing. We're so afraid of offering our own contribution and strengths and gifts that we're like, well, it's a lot easier to tell people I just work for someone else. It's a lot easier to just show up at someone else's job. It's a lot easier to just show up and, okay, what must I do next? What must I do next? It's a, right? But if you have your own passion and talent and trade and skill that you can now serve others with, it takes responsibility. It takes king energy, right? So that's the wealth thing. And you can affect things, right? A lot of guys are, are very um, passionate. Of, you know, they, they know what God wants them to do. But then they go and spend 50 hours a week uh, just paying off their debts. And then while they're doing that job, they're so petrified of getting fired that they don't speak the truth. DVG, second blessing to a man is always a beautiful woman to enjoy. My man. Mommy. Yep, it's part of his wealth and mission. It's so good, bro. Mission first, relationship second. It's a it's a great it's a great uh, point that. And the last one is power. So part of the part of the job of a royal family is to exercise power, exercise the sword over their dominion. So a king can create a safe place, a civilization where there's peace and prosperity for his people, or he can create a hell where there's violence and poverty for his people. And I often think about how as a king, power stewardship comes in ways that is confrontational. You know, so, so for instance, you know, just even growing up with, with a good father, it's like a good father is going to confront, there's going to be prunings of their sons. Pruning, like, no, we're not going to do that. Prune. No, we're not going to do that. Prune. And hopefully the sons grow up as oaks of righteousness. If you don't prune, then later down the road, someone's going to take a chainsaw and cut down the wicked leaning tree. And it's the same way with our kingdoms, with the land and the communities and the hierarchies that we are in. If a king doesn't uh, exercise power in a righteous way by pruning and little confrontations and uh, gatekeeping, then at some point, you know, the, the, the leaning tower of your hierarchy is just going to, it's time for a chainsaw, get this thing out of here. You know, a lot of, a lot of churches, a lot of institutions, a lot of academies, uh, academia, they're so far broken that there is no bringing them back. It's far better just destroy it, come back to first principles. And, you know, cause the foundation is, is rotten. And this thing has been 
you know, totally just skewed that it's like there is no coming back. So the best thing is to try and start again. So, so with power, a lot of people, a lot of Christians are like, no, don't get involved in politics. Don't get involved in any uh, honor um, or status games. And you look at that, they become these people who just bury their talent. Just bury your talent. Don't, don't confront. Don't cause any issues. But when you look at the power of a church or the power of a family, the power of, of friendship bonds, you know, you're looking at a few good men exercising power, especially in America where you have a, a Republican system. If a church with, you know, 50 members shows up at any council meeting, that's a voting block that you can start to sway morality in a town. You can start to sway what happens. You can put one of your people up uh, into, you know, bureaucracy or, you know, the sheriff position or the judge position, or there's so many elected little positions that one church in a small town and a group of churches in bigger towns, you can totally take over the power wielding of a town. And Romans 13, I think it is, but it, it talks about the wielding of the sword as a ministry. The bearing the sword is a ministry. And so it's time that churches started seeing that as like, wait a minute, one of our ministries is getting our guys into power. And once we're in power, we wield like Christ. We don't take land or woman, God promises, because of fear and lack of faith. Being salt and light in this world, being acting with king energy. Yep, so good, bro. I think the, the fear and lack of faith is a huge thing. So uh, Proverbs 20 verse 4, I think it is. But it says, by humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And that um, humility and fear of the Lord is a big thing, right? Humility is knowing who you are. So the opposite of humility is not only pride, but it's also condemnation. Pride and condemnation are the flip side of a coin. So humility is saying like, wow, I am blessed. Like I am a son. I am a king. I am the heir of Abraham. That's humility. Fear of the Lord as opposed, uh, fear of the Lord, I look at it this way, chaps. When my dad says to me, hey boy, uh, go do this, go do that, and go do that. Fear of my dad was, I don't want to disappoint him. I love my dad so much. I admire him. All I want is for my dad to say to me, yeah, good job, boy. Love you, proud of you. And I'm going to give you more tasks next time because you're my guy. You're my go-to guy. It's like, oh, my dad's go-to guy. Like that's fear of the Lord. That's fear of your dad. You don't want to disappoint him. You want an increase of, of stat stature in his sight. The opposite of fear of the Lord is fear of man or fear of woman. The opposite of fear of the Lord is fear of death, fear of fear, fear of, you know, all these things. Love it. Yep. Recent election showed us anything is that all national elections are affected by what happens locally. And so I'm going to end it on this, chaps. This is a, a brilliant thing. The local area. You know, when I say Christians should be involved in politics, federal level, unless you're already in the system, is about five steps too far ahead of, of your humility, of your place. You know, if we can't, uh, it's, I'm trying to think of, of that good analogy, but it's like, if you can't, if you can't steward one talent, God's not going to give you 22,000 talents, you know? So if we can't run a local campaign, what is the point of getting so like, Oh, I'm so huge about this Senator and this Congressman and blah, 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 blah. blah. It's like, Oh, do you even know who your mayor, what your mayor's name is? Do you even know who your local sheriff is? Have you met him? Because you can. You have access to your local sheriff. You have access to your local mayor. 
Do you even know who your local district state senator or congressman is? Because you have access to them. You can go meet them. You know, and it's like, if we haven't done all of this, there's no point freaking out and outraging and consuming all our time and energy over all this crap. You know, and, and Trump losing was, Trump being swindled was the biggest blessing to so many of us because it's like we were so many points above where we should be and and hoping that this one guy would do it all for us you know we then abdicated our local responsibilities whereas now it's like great we're under the pump we're never winning a democratic election again like it's not going to happen it's all going to be local uh, maneuvering and local kingship local alliances and local tribalism and it's like this is exciting. This is the power game. It's local. It's tangible. You can feel it, you know? And, and I think there's this, there's this beauty to just cutting out the federal, cutting out the global. And it's like, all right, I'm going to go and meet my mayor. I'm going to go and meet my sheriff, you know? And, and I think like, I think if we can start really having a, an ownership over our local town or our local area, wherever you are, we become the Abraham of our area. That, that's our, our, our hope, right? Is, Lord, I want to be the Abraham of southwestern Indiana, southeastern Indiana. Like, I want to be the Abraham. Like, Lord, I'm here to be used by you. I will, I'll do what you want me to do. You know, and so often that looks like being fearless and telling the truth and understanding that God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to have land. God wants you to have power. And it's like, all right, Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening for how you want, however you want to do it. I'm in. So I bless you guys. May the Lord increase your land, your wealth, and your power. Uh, and uh, may we be demonstrators of the patriarchal mandate, of the patriarchal pattern. Um, it's, a, it's a good time to be alive. You know, I think this whole hard times and weak men thing of like, oh, why did it have to be us? Like, why did it have to be us to, to have the end of, of the civilizational, you know, 200-year civilization cycle? And it's like, I think it's like, all right, chaps, game is on. We get to be the pioneers. We get to be the patriarchs. Let's wade in head first into this. Like, this is our glory. This is our glory, chaps. You know, it's not a, it's not a thing of complaining. It's a thing of, of getting a glint in our eye and being like, we were born for such a time as this. So God bless you, brothers. Appreciate you chaps jumping in in the comments as well. Yep, last one there, DBGF men group together. They could create invisible societies that function independently like the Amish or the Hasidic Jews. Full on, full on. Um, you know, secret, secret societies. One of the biggest memes or like what's the word, psyops right now is that we can have symmetrical warfare with our enemy in high places, you know, so, oh, we're going to have the Heritage Foundation and the something, something society and the, this organization, and we're going to go head on against our enemies. And it's like, we're so outgunned on a global federal scale. It's like asymmetric warfare, secret societies, men doing local stuff, like the global, there's no point fighting up there. It's literally going battlefield to bat toe to toe on the battlefield with with the biggest army in the world. It's like, no, 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 go local, go local. Let's go practical. The, the, the blueprint is there, you know, Abraham was one dude and, and there were tons of warring tribes, dudes who tried to take them out. And it's like, 
All right. He just focused on his local area. Focus on what you have. Focus on the blessing. What does God want me to do? Local, local, local. Who are the strong men around me? How do I create alliances? How do I create alliances with strong men around me? And that's straight talk. You know, I think that's where you get straight talk. You can notice other strong guys. And it's like straight talk. I want my family and your family to have an alliance. What does that look like? It's like, well, I'm going to be a wealthy man of influence in this town. I believe that you are on the way to being a wealthy man of influence in this town. Let us work together for our mutual interests. Have an alliance. I have your back. You have my back. Our children, let's look out after each other's children. Let's let's draw a line in the sand of, of what we as a alliance are going to, to go hard after. Andrew Graves, relevant anecdotes. I've been told that in the South, at least, it is customary for Vietnamese newlyweds to receive a thousand bucks from each guest or guest couple to start their life, house, business, whatever. Beautiful. You know, it's it's a it's an honoring of inheritance. It's an honoring of marriage. It's like, you know, for us, it's like, oh, I'm going to have to go and put my wedding on my credit card and I hope people show up with some gifts. Whereas it's like, no, marriage is beautiful and we're going to help you get married as young as possible. We're going to help you get started. We're going to help you uh, with your economy. Beautiful. Same with, you know, I believe Jews at the bar, at the bar mitzvah when they're 12 or 13 years old coming of age. Again, same thing, gifts of money, gifts of stocks, gifts of uh, medals. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, you're a, you're a young man. Let's get you, let's get you going. It's beautiful stuff. And I think, again, that comes in alliance. It comes with being a, a tribal uh, people that, that we belong to each other and we want, you know, it's no longer just me looking out for my family, but it's me looking out for my alliances and their families. You know, because if my alliances do well, well, I'm going to do well. So love it, man. God bless you, brothers.